All right? All right, all of that out of the way. We got a lot to get to this morning. Um, also, I was given a flyer this morning, and we're, we're, believe it or not, before we get into the sermon this morning, believe it or not, it's time to start thinking about Operation Christmas Child. How about that? My sister told me the other day, this was last week, there are 11 Mondays till Christmas. What? <laughs> Some people are like, woo! 11 Mondays till Christmas, that's it. Um, but we will be a drop-off center again. Jackie, would you come up for one second? Um, just going to have Jackie sort of expand on this a little bit. Uh, many hands make light work. Jackie and Patty Martell are... Um, just grab one somewhere, yeah? Find, find one. We'll find you one. Jackie and Patty, over there, the big, there's a pile of them. <laughs> They're heading, heading it up again this, this uh, year. But it's coming up, believe it or not. It, and we start in October, start planning so it all goes well. And I don't know if you need that to uh, sort of refer. And um, no, you have to talk in this end. Yeah, you just got to turn it on. Oh. <laughs> Hopefully this will pop right on. There we go. Uh, uh, good morning. Good morning. Take it away for one minute. I can probably do it in less. Nice. Out there on the... Um... The standout there are 31 days of prayer for Operation Christmas Child. It starts October 15th. That is coming up very quickly. So grab one of these, and we can all be united in prayer for the next 31 days over Operation Christmas Child. These shoeboxes go all over the world, and they not only give kids toys and presents for Christmas that they otherwise wouldn't have, but it reaches them with the the word of Jesus and salvation, and Samaritan's Purse does a phenomenal job with that. There's also a sign-up sheet out there for the area drop-off. It's the week of November... 7th or 8th, I believe, through Mm -hmm. the 15th. It's a Monday through Monday. I need at least two people in every time slot. Most of them are only two hours. I saw that one couple signed up for one already before I even said anything. (laughs) So if you're able to help out with that, I really, 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 really need your help. I'm taking off again next week for Florida. My dad's not doing well, and I'm going to be down there a few weeks. Um, And Patty Martell is going to help me out a little bit with this since she's done it in the past. But I I really, really need anybody's help that is able and willing. Thank you. All right. Yes, it starts in October. Start praying now. Start being in prayer for Operation Christmas Child. Um, Why reinvent the wheel? We love to plug into uh, Samaritan's Purse and what they already do and what they're already so good at. So be in prayer for Operation Christmas Child. Sign up in the back. All of that stuff. It's time. It's time. It's almost time for Christmas. Um, I know. Let's get through Halloween first. Let's get through Thanksgiving first, right? I get it. I get it. Let's get through October. Um, But we need to start thinking about it now so we can do it and do it with excellence and do it well. And so there's not a a minute missed, right? Um, We're also taking communion this morning. So if you didn't get one on the way in, there's a little table in the back. You can grab a little cup if you need one. Um, Just a little reminder about that. So all of the housekeeping's done. All of that's taken care of. Are you ready for the word this morning? I'm excited to preach it. I've been good. I've been uh, uh, enjoying getting into the Beatitudes and Matthew chapter 5. And, and, and you know what? I, it, it, hopefully every preacher is this way. But, you know, as you listen and you learn and you study and you get things together to preach and all of that, you know, God works on me too. And it's exciting when God and the Holy Spirit moves in my heart and I can, I can get excited about preaching and excited about what God's doing through um, the Beatitudes and the refresh and looking at them again. And we're preaching, um, really this is the longest series I've ever done, I think, because uh, we're going to go through all of them at one week at a time. 
And so we're, we're, there's eight really, but eight, really nine Beatitudes. Um, eight of them, boom, boom, boom. And then the last one, number nine, is going to be, uh, I can't wait to get to that one. But as we read through Matthew chapter 5, uh, today we're looking at the Beatitude, uh, Beatitude number 4. And the, the sermon series is called The Upside Down, right? The Upside Down. And some of you know that's a little play on, uh, on, on some words, right? Some play on some, some, uh, a series that some people might watch. I don't recommend it. It's bad. It's bad for your brain. But some people understand what the upside down is when I talk about the upside down because kingdom living, as Jesus preaches, is sort of upside down to what we're used to seeing and used to hearing. Kingdom living is very, uh, very opposite of the way the world lives. And we've been looking at, looking at some of that. And Jesus says, blessed are those, right? That's, that's the theme of the whole Beatitudes. Blessed are those. Blessed are those. Blessed are the whatever. Blessed and, and, but blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who mourn, right? We talked about all that. Like, how can that be? But we unpack that and we understand what Jesus is saying to us through all of that and how sort of he talks about blessed are the poor in spirit. But he flips that over and he says, you know what? Because when you get to the end of yourself, you're poor in spirit. You're like a beggar. You're like, I can't function even without God by my side. I can't function without God in my life, in my heart. I can't do it alone. You know, you get to that point. So we take those things that Jesus has said, blessed are those, blah, 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 whatever it is, and he flips it. He says, hold on. It doesn't sound right side up, but let me tell you how it really plays out. So we looked at the first three. So um, after today, we'll be a little bit, we'll be about halfway there. Um, and I hope you've been enjoying these Beatitudes and watching online and following along and, and being blessed by them as we look at Jesus' uh, longest sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, if you joined us last week online, you saw it was actually the Sermon on the Mount. So I went to Mount Washington, right? The big uh, cliffside, hillside there in, in downtown Pittsburgh area. It overlooks the entire River Valley right there. And it was sort of the Sermon on the Mount Washington, if you will. Um, look, if we're going to be online, we might as well make it interesting, right? Could have just preached from my backyard or up here, but now nah, let's go somewhere on location and make it happen. And, and just to be a little more uh, interesting, a little more in the moment, you know, and maybe, maybe it looked kind of like that in, in, the, in, in, in the time when Jesus was preaching from the mount. How high up was the mount? We don't know. Maybe you could see quite a ways, and we talked a little bit about that, but this beatitude this morning. I'm very excited to to get into it with y'all. And if you have your Bibles, make sure you get over to Matthew chapter 5. This beatitude has to do with hungering and thirsting for the things of God. Hungering and thirsting for the things of God. There was a man uh, named Christian Herter. He was the 59th uh, governor of the state of Massachusetts. And he was was, uh, running for his second term and, and talking about hungering this morning. Um, he had already served one term, and he was campaigning and running for the second term. And he was scheduled to, to speak at a, at, a, at a gathering in a church fellowship hall. They were having a potluck, of course, right? Like all good churches do, right? If you're going to come until we eat again, we're going to put, we're going to bring, everybody's going to bring a casserole, and it's going to be a good time. And he was so famished and so hungry, he had a busy schedule. He hadn't eaten all day. He got in line for food. And, and the woman put a piece of chicken on his plate. And you know, like any good church who's trying to watch their funds, and uh, they're, they're, you get one piece. That's all you get. One piece of chicken, one side, here you go, move you right through the line. Um, and, and he said to the, to the woman giving out the chicken, 
faithful saint of the church, right? Giving out the chicken, doling out, rationing out the chicken. He said, you know, ma'am, this is the governor. Ma'am, if you don't mind, I, I, I really, I'm so hungry. I've been on the road for a few days and have very little to eat. I'm, very, I'm famished. Is there any way you could give me one more piece of chicken? She said, no, there's, I'm sorry, there's only one per person. One piece of chicken per person. He said, and then he pulled this line. Ma'am, do you know who I am? I am the governor of this state. And I would love to have one more piece of chicken. If that's all right. I'm starving. I'm so hungry. She said, Governor, do you know who I am? I'm sister so-and-so. And I... And he said, I have no idea who you are. And she said, well, I'm sister so-and-so. And I'm the woman who gives out the chicken. So move it along. Beatitude number four has, has to do with something we all enjoy doing. We all enjoy a good meal. We all have been hungry from time to time. It talks about eating and drinking. We all enjoy eating and a good meal. And we saw the first three Beatitudes, right? And we'll see it today in the fourth, that Jesus, as he teaches, he turns our way of thinking upside down. He introduces this new kingdom, these new guidelines, a new way of life. If I were to ask you here today, this morning, how many of you have ever truly been hungry or truly really been parched and thirsty? I mean, we would all say, yeah, we've really been there. I mean, we've been hungry. Hunger and thirst, right, are God's kind of warning system for our bodies. He puts it in there when He designs us. You know, like that little light that goes off in your car, the warning light, that feeling of being hungry or thirsty. God put that in you. God put that feeling in you. It's like an alarm bell. Ding, ding, ding. You're, you're, you're starting to get hungry. You need to eat. Some of us can feel our energy sort of drained and we're like, you know what, i got to eat something. i got to eat something. I know it when I, when I feel it. I feel it. You know, and I'll, I, hang on, i got to eat something. i got, I got to find something. It's an alarm bell. It's, it's time to eat. God put that in you. You know, when you're, when you're walking along and you're, you just feel, yeah, I, 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 I need something to drink. I'm going to water or something. Something. You know, you get that feeling. You know, you dip your head in that river if you need to. I need something. Some of you, I know that that alarm goes off, some of us, that alarm goes off for hunger way too often. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, I'm just always hungry. Somebody say, you hungry? You know what my response is? I could eat. Right? How many of that? Are you hungry? Well, I could eat. I mean, hungry not compared to the people who don't have, you know, those, you know, people that don't have much and don't know where their next meal, they're hungry. When someone says, are you hungry? Yeah, I could eat. Time for some hunger, time for some food, time for some, some water. You know when you're hungry, when you're thirsty. God created that in our bodies. And we're all a little bit different in that respect, and I get that. But all of us inside are basically the same, right? We all need physical nourishment. We all need water. Did you know that your body is three quarters water? Three quarters water. I don't feel like I feel like I'm about two thirds fat but you know what I, it's not fair to laugh at that at all but three quarters water and by the time you're 70 years of age you will have needed one and a half million gallons of water to go through your body for you to even be here on this earth if you have two percent less than that 
your energy decreases by 20%. If you have 10% less than what's required, you're unable to walk. People know when people get severely dehydrated, right? It, they, they just can't function. If you have 20% of what's required of you for water intake, you might as well cash it in. You could die if you, if you were famished by water, 20% of what's required for you to live. Without proper food and water, water, our bodies shut down. It's the same way with our spiritual body. Our spiritual lives. We will shut down if we don't have spiritual food and spiritual hydration. Look in your Bibles, Matthew chapter 5. As we go through the Beatitudes, again, there are, there are eight, really nine of them. And if you've been with us so far, one of the points that we've been trying to emphasize is that these Beatitudes are stepping stones along the way, right? You, you, you start with the one stepping stone. You get on that stepping stone, and then you move to the second, and then you get to the third, and when you get to the third, you, you, you get, go on to the fourth. But these are stepping stones building on one another. You can't be on the third beatitude unless you've been on the second beatitude, on the second stepping stone. And this week we're on that fourth stepping stone. So remember the first stepping stone because you can't even get to the fourth at all unless you realize that you're on the first. And the first was to be poor in spirit. Remember that? Poor in spirit. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does it mean to be the poor in spirit? It means, remember, that we, we are nothing without God. We are nothing. God is everything. And to be poor in spirit, right? The word poor and, and means, to be, means to be a beggar, means to beg. It was so, we're so lone, lost and lonely without Him. We're begging for Him. Without you, God, I am nothing. We need you for our sustenance. We need you every single day. That's poor in spirit. Once you're on that stepping stone, then you get to the second stepping stone. Blessed are those who mourn. Now what we said, we said about mourning, right? Mourning, we can all go through a time of mourning. We understand what that is. But really mourning is like, you know what? The relationship with, with me and God is like, is this beginning to realize my own shortcomings, my own unholiness in front of a holy God. And we get to this point and we're like, you know what? I mourn over that. I, I, God, I need you. I kind of get to this place where I feel like, oh God, I'm, I'm so far from you that I mourn. I need more of you. And I'm, oh Lord. And then he, he comes and he comforts you. You cry, cry out over your own failures, your own sin, your own shortcomings until you come to that point. You can't go to the next one. You realize that you're nothing and you're lost without Him and that you're broken and over your sin and your shortcomings. And you come before the Lord and you say, you know what, Lord, I, I, I mourn. I feel that in my gut and my soul, God. My sin, Lord. And, and, and you come to this place and you're broken. And you know what he says, the second part of that verse, you will be comforted. When you come to that point, you'll be God will comfort you. He'll redeem you. He'll restore you. He'll forgive you if you come to Him and you are honest in this morning. You say, God, I'm so lost without you. And then we move on to the next stepping stone, which we talked about last week. Blessed are the meek. If you're proud, if you're a proud man or woman, you're a proud person, you're full of pride, you can't even get to this stepping stone. You can't even get to this part. Because once you get to the point where you're, when you become a meek person, remember we said that meekness is not 
weakness. That is not what this word means. This word is actually power under control. Remember that we talked about a horse and how that this, this word is that of a horse. A wild horse can do some damage. But someone gets in there and they tame that wild horse and they have that all of that power of that 2,000 pound animal, but it's under control. It's power under control. We talked about there's an inward factor, right, of humility, but there's also an outward factor of meekness, being gentle and dealing with people, and how it takes more of a more of a strong spirit, more of a meek spirit, more of that power under control to hold your tongue in those situations that you want to lash out, or or to hold back, or to, to offer comfort, or to love those that you that are unlovable. It takes more power under control to do that then it does to lash out. That's the, it's not weakness, it's meekness, power under control. We talked about that, and there's this attitude of serving that comes after that. But once you've been on those first two, and you get to the third stepping stone, the fourth stepping stone, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they will be what, say it together church, filled. This is the fourth beatitude. Three major points. You might want to write this down. If you're a note note taker, you know the rest. Um, If you're not much of a note taker, you probably should write this down anyway. So the first one is what I call, this beatitude speaks of a driving pursuit. A driving pursuit, hungering and thirsting. A driving pursuit. A strong desire, an ambition, if you will. A driving pursuit. Pursuit. The analogy that, analogy that Jesus uses is such a powerful metaphor. And all of us have felt hunger pains, right? Hungering and thirsting. In fact, if you're truthful, I mean, every one of us, right? If we miss, if we miss one meal, we're like, I'm not going to make it. I, I mean, I'm just, I did not eat breakfast today and I am not going to make it. You're like, you know, unless I get some, some nourishment, and we walk around almost like we're, i got to get something to eat, I have to get something. We miss one meal. It's hunger, you feel it. And thirst, you know, your, your mouth gets dry. And what you would do for just a, a cool glass of water to quench your thirst, especially on a hot day. And in the same way, Jesus, he uses this analogy. He's saying we should have that same intense feeling of hunger and, and thirst in this intense drive and pursuit, not for physical things, but for spiritual things. A couple things under this point. I want to write this down. First of all, you all know who the enemy of your soul is, right? Satan, the devil himself. And the devil, and this is interesting to me, that Jesus uses hungering and thirsting Because oftentimes, the devil will almost always tempt you physically to defeat you spiritually. Take that in for a moment. Almost every time, the enemy of your soul will tempt you physically to defeat you spiritually. Not only, and it's this hungering and thirsting thing, right? We see that in and out of Scripture. Think about way back in Genesis. When Satan dangled that little apple. We don't know for sure if it was an apple. I get it. Don't send me emails. 
He dangled this fruit. Oh, it was bright and shiny. It looked good. It smelled good. You're hungry, right? Look at this. Physical nourishment. There it is. Adam and Eve, are, and, and they're, they're oh, well, look at that. Why would he do that? He's trying to tempt Adam and Eve in that moment to take their eyes off of God. He was wanting to break their relationship with God. Physical temptation, spiritual brokenness. He almost always comes at you with a physical temptation to break you spiritually. He was trying to get them to go down a path that would dishonor God. And so he dangles that physical fruit in front of them to defeat them spiritually. The enemy of your soul, Satan, almost always does that. He sends something your way physically to defeat you spiritually. Might be a beautiful woman. Might be a luxurious car. It might be a big old pile of money. Whatever it is, he tries to lure us in and get us to, to give in to that lust of whatever it is and to pursue something ungodly to meet a physical need to destroy us personally, spiritually. In order that we would, he would lead us away from God. And we've all had these situations or know of someone who's gone through physical abuse or sexual abuse or substance abuse or alcohol abuse. And, and the, the devil tries to get us in living under that bondage and underneath addiction. And we're, so we're caught up in the things of this world as opposed to being focused on the things of God. Peter in Matthew chapter 14 was, was with Jesus. He was actually out there walking on the water with Jesus. Remember that? Peter's out there walking on the water, and and until he started to see that storm coming, he takes his eyes off of Jesus, starts looking at the rain, all the physical problems, all the things, and and there it was, the thunderbolts and all the lightning, and and all of that caused Peter Peter to fall into the water that day. Took his eyes off of the things of God, took his eyes off of Jesus Started looking at these things and oh my, what am I going to do if I can't, I'm not supposed to be walking on water. That's right. (laughs) I'm not supposed to be able to do this. And the minute his faith wavered, he sank. The enemy will do the exact same thing for every person within the sound of my voice this morning. He'll dangle something right in front of your eyes. Why? He's trying to get you caught up in the things of this world. To defeat you spiritually. One of the best ways you can measure how successful he is in your life is by measuring your appetite. Your appetite. The first symptom of sickness is lack of appetite. Do I have a slide that says that? I think I do. Right there. No. Anyway. Thought I did. The first symptom of sickness is oftentimes is loss of appetite. Any healthcare workers say amen. Right? People say, you know what? I just don't feel like eating. So I just feel like eating. You're sick. You're not eating. People lose a lot of weight. The first symptom of sickness often is lack of appetite. Many of you know I went through a bout of COVID-19 several weeks ago. And one of the side effects 
is losing your taste of smell, your, your sense of smell and taste. For a guy who likes to eat, <laughs> again, are you hungry? I could eat. I don't eat because I'm hungry or starving. I eat because it tastes good. You ever had my wife's cooking? She said she was going to, right when I lost my taste, she said she was going to make uh, chili. I said, don't you dare. Don't make your chili if I can't taste it. And then eventually I was like, you know, I, I still feel like eating. I still feel like, why would I eat? But other folks that are, that are sick or, 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 or dealing with something, and maybe they're even hospitalized or whatever it is, that, you know, people just the first symptom of, of sickness is loss of appetite. The exact same way spiritually you can check yourself and how healthy you are spiritually by, by seeing what your appetite is like for the things of God. So a healthy believer, someone who's on track spiritually, you know, they can't wait to get to church. They can't wait to open their Bible. They can't wait to pray. They want to take communion. They can't wait to gather together once again. They can't wait to be around the people of God. When the doors are open, they're here. They're like, I got to get there. I got to be a part. People who are like that, this, this appetite, you can tell they're just hungry for the things of God. They want to get in there. They, they worship God with all of their heart and they are just they're hungry for God. It's the appetite. You can tell. Likewise, an unhealthy believer, an unhealthy Christian, you know, there's like, eh, you know what? I don't need to go anywhere to, to, to worship God. I don't need to go to church. Why do I need to go to church? Now, I know this morning I'm preaching to the choir because you all are here. And I'm talking to people who maybe aren't here, or, or, or who think of it as a secondary thing, or it's, it's not a priority in their life. Oh, I don't need to go. I, don't, I really need to read my Bible every day or, or a few times a week. I don't need to really, they, get to, they leave it on the, 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 uh, you know, the, the table for the whole week. Eh, we'll get to it next week. I don't really have to go to worship, right? I can turn on the radio. I mean, where is your appetite for the things of God? What is your appetite for the things of God? And the second, top, the second part of this beatitude, um, get this down, it, it speaks not only of a driving pursuit, but it speaks of a divine pursuit. A divine pursuit for righteousness. So you're not only driven, you're not only want to, you're not only checking your appetite and you're hungering for this, but you're also, it's a divine pursuit where you're hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Jesus says that in, the, in this beatitude. You've got this strong ambition, this strong desire. Ambitions and desires are in and of themselves. They're okay. God was the one who put that in us, put that drive in us, those ambitions. But it's where those desires and ambitions are focused. If this beatitude says anything at all, it says, you know what? If you want to be truly blessed, and we said blessed means happy, right? Blessed means happy. Blessed, 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 blessed. Blessed are those. Happy are those. If you want to be truly blessed on this earth, you have to hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's a divine pursuit. Now, we already know this, but you might want to write it down. And it's possible, and for most likely, actually, for some of us, it's, it's, it's easy to desire to, to have this divine pursuit of the wrong things. 
We have these ambitions, these desires, this, this, these pursuits in us. But it's easy to become focused on the wrong things. I got all kinds of illustrations through Scripture that, 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 that illustrate this. I'm going to tell you about this guy. You might have heard of him. His name is Lucifer. You ever heard of that in Scripture? Lucifer. You guys know who Lucifer is, right? Right? We talked about him a little while ago. It's, it's Satan. It's the devil. It's our spiritual enemy. Have you ever read how Lucifer, how, how Satan came to be in the Bible, how he became to be the enemy of our soul, the enemy of God? One time, actually, Lucifer was in heaven, was an angel, was an angelic being. You know, all know there are good angels, right? He was one of the good ones. God created him, and the angels are at God's beck and call, right? They're, they're there to do whatever God calls them to do, because they do all kinds of things. And when God sends them on a mission, they go do what God tells them to do. And the angels are there in heaven, but Lucifer, he came up with his own set of ideas. He wanted to do what he wanted to do. He sort of went out on his own. And the Bible says, in Isaiah chapter 14... There it is. Isaiah chapter 14, he says this. Lucifer said in his heart, here's what he said, I will ascend to heaven and I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of the assembly and on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. And he said this, I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. His ambition was to be like God, to be, to sort of take over that role. You see, he was hungry. He was motivated. He had that ambition, that drive. He was power hungry, right? Lucifer, he had this, he was power hungry. And he had this resolute ambition. I mean, he was going to go for it. It's easy for us to desire and to go for the wrong things. This consuming passion among, uh, among Lucifer, uh, inside Lucifer, was, was for power. He wanted to be as great as God, you see. And what did God say in verse 15? One verse later, he says, Oh, but you, Lucifer, you will be brought down to the grave, one translation says. To the realm of the dead, to the depths of of the pit. God's saying, because of your wrong ambition, Lucifer, I'm going to take you to your grave. And then there was this guy, remember, this is another example. Remember this guy, if you're looking for Bible names for your kids, this is a good one. Nebuchadnezzar, got to love a name with two Z's in it. Nebuchadnezzar, he was the king of Babylon. Remember him, Nebuchadnezzar. I always call him Nebi. King Nebi. And what was Babylon? Babylon was the greatest empire the world had ever known up to that point. And he's the king of this empire, old Nebi. He has this strong desire, these, these ambitions. Nebi tells us of his, his desire to be the king in Babylon. He said these words in Daniel chapter 4. He said, is this not the great Babylon that I have built? as the royal residence by my mighty power, and for the glory of whose majesty? My majesty. See, Lucifer was power hungry. Nebuchadnezzar was praise hungry. He wanted the praise. He wanted the glory. He wanted the credit. 
This is Babylon built for my majesty. He was so hungry for that praise that he even praised himself. And God reacted the same way he did with Lucifer. Verse 31. Even as the words were still on his lips. What words? He was saying, I did this for my glory, my majesty. While the words were still on his lips, when a voice came from heaven saying, This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people to live with the wild animals. You'll eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by you until you acknowledge that the Most High God is sovereign over all the kingdoms of the earth and gives gives them to anyone He wishes, Nebuchadnezzar, before you get all full of yourself. You say, well, that's, that's Lucifer. That's Debbie. I can't relate to those guys. All right, can you relate to the farmer over in Luke chapter 12? Luke chapter 12, this farmer had become rich and he thought to himself, Jesus told this parable, right? It was the parable, the ground of a certain rich man produced a rich good crop and the rich man thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he says, this is what I'll do. I'll go go down and tear down my barns and build bigger ones. So everyone can see that I'm the rich farmer, that I'm the one who has all this grain. I'm going to store it up for myself. And he said, you know what, I'll store it there and I'll have surplus. And I'll say to myself, "Ah, you've got plenty of grain for many, many years laid up. Take life easy now, farmer. Eat, drink, and be merry. And God said this in verse 20. So as this farmer is full of himself, as he says, look at all this that I grew. Meanwhile, he planted it in God's earth. God gave the harvest. God gave the growth. The farmer took the credit and he said, I'm going to store it all up. I'll build bigger barns. Look what I did. Verse 20. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then what will you get? then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? See, this man wasn't power hungry. He wasn't praise hungry. He was possession hungry. I, I want it. I want it all. I need to store it up. I need that. This is mine. Look what I did. He, he, was, he was possession hungry. And he was also pleasure hungry. Eat, drink, and be merry. This isn't rocket science, friends, this morning. There's nothing wrong with having having passions and drive and ambitions. You know, God puts that within us. But beatitude number four, kingdom principle number four, is blessed are those who hunger and thirst for pleasure. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for wealth or recognition. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for power. No, kingdom principle number four says... That true blessing comes when you pursue, when you hunger for, when you thirst for righteousness, for the things of God. There are many, many passages in the Bible, not just the Beatitudes that reveal this to us. There there should be in us this desire for godly things. It should be there. All you have to do is look at the last seven days of your life. Up until today, look at the last seven days. What did you do from last Sunday to this Sunday? 
What consumed you? What motivated you? What is it that, that activated you, that got that ambition, that desire up and going? And you, What is that? Where did most of your time go? Where did your energy go for just the last seven days? The Psalms are a good place to look for, for, for getting this ambition, this desire that's inside of all of us to go toward the right thing. Psalm 42. How many are familiar with this? As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. Hungering and thirsting? Hungering and thirsting? My soul pants for you. I am am a dry and desolate place, Lord, without you in my life. My soul. Psalm 63 says, Oh God, oh God, you are my God. God, you are my God. Earnestly, God, you are my God. That's why he repeats that. Oh God, you are my God. Not just God, God, I praise you God. No, it's not that. What is your God? God, you are my God. Earnestly. Not, not God, you are my God. Not, not Hollywood. Not fame. Not fortune. Not money. Not pleasure. Not the new iPhone 13. Not anything. God, you are my God. My soul thirsts after you. I thirst for you, the psalmist says. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there's no water. God, I I long for you. My soul, my whole being longs, God, for followers on Instagram. Hello. My soul, God, longs for likes on that last post. Hello. My God, my God, my, I, I earnestly seek to be TikTok famous. That's what all the kids are doing. No. I might pull something. No, he said, you know what, my God, my body longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water, night and day. Isaiah 64, where'd it go? I don't know. Isaiah 64 says, your righteousness. You know, I got to tell you this. And we'll close here because I got to close. Most people in this country are not prepared to meet God. Most people in this country, newsflash, newsflash, most people in this country, here's the encouraging word for the day, are not going to heaven. There are very few people Very few people in this country who are actually living for God. Very few. You are in the minority. 
Most people, remember the Bible says that there's a narrow road that leads to heaven. Remember that scripture? There's a narrow road, but there's a broad road that leads to destruction. And most people, the Bible says, are on that broad road leading to destruction. You're in the minority if you follow God. But those who believe, they're, they're there one day, and all the, you know, people that think about this kind of stuff, that, you know, we don't think about, I think about Pastor Greg and, and how your own, you know, when you lose someone you love, your own, your own mortality sort of becomes into focus, even if it's just for a moment. And if it doesn't, you know, check your pulse because a lot of times, you know, when something like tragic like that happens, you think, you know what, that just goes to show. And I've heard this this week, physically heard it with my own ears. Goes to show, you know, none of us are promised tomorrow. Most people get faced with that. And right before most people die, they, they often wonder, what, what's, what's going to happen to me right now? Like, what's going to happen? This is it. Am I going to get to go to heaven? And most people in the justification in their minds, right, is they believe they've been a good person. Right? They've done some good deeds. And again, we talked about in week one, you know, we haven't really shot anybody or killed anyone. And I'm a good person. You know, they, they got along with people and they think it's based on their good deeds. And the book of Isaiah says that your good deeds are nothing but filthy rags. In other words, these good deeds are worth nothing as far as getting you into heaven. But to pursue righteousness... Right? Hunger and thirst for righteousness. What's God's righteousness? Romans 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is it, folks. This is it. This is all of it in a a couple of verses. The Apostle Paul says we are justified through faith, not what we do, and we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace which we now stand. God's righteousness took place through Jesus' death on the cross. Jesus dies on that cross for all of our sins. And when we come along and we put our faith in Him, now we have access to the the peace and the grace of God. That's God's righteousness. This is the thing that we need to be longing and thirsting for and hungering for. You won't ever get to stepping stone beatitude number four until you recognize one, two, and three. And once we get to this place, You know, God is the one that feeds you, that sustains you, that gives you this water and food to drink and keeps that physical nourishment going. He keeps your ticker ticking, right? God is the one that keeps your... You don't keep your ticker ticking. God gets your ticker and keeps your ticker ticking. It's fun to say. Be careful. Be careful to mock God. He's the one that keeps your ticker ticking. And if he's the one that keeps your ticker ticking, you cry out and you say, you know what, God, I'm nothing without you. You become a beggar. You become poor in spirit. And then you begin to mourn over your frailty. And you mourn and then God sees that you're legit. You come to him with with open heart and open minds. And you say, God, here I am. He forgives you. He redeems you. He comforts you. You get to that place of humility and meekness. And now you come to this place and you get this driving pursuit and there's a divine 
pursuit, something definite that happens to you when you truly hunger and thirst after God's righteousness. Then and only then will you be satisfied, content, blessed. Knowing that the things of this world do not satisfy. John chapter 6, Jesus shares these words, and this is it. Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me. This is right after Jesus fed 5,000 plus, right? And we all know, Bible students, you all know that 5,000 men were there, and the, and the women and children were probably another five or 10,000 more, maybe more. It had been a long day of of miracle after miracle after miracle, right? He had those five loaves. And they weren't big fat loaves like with 25 pieces of bread in it. They were little like dinner roll loaves. And he took those loaves and multiplied them. You all know the story. And he multiplied the fish. Not some big salmon fish. These were little fish that the, the boy would have had in his lunch. He multiplies all that. They see the miracles happening. They see everything happening going on miracle after miracle after miracle. They had bread left over. They had meal left over for 12 basketfuls. And you know what? You, know, you think, you know, this guy must be this, the Messiah. Why? Because they saw him perform the miracles. And it says this. Very truly, you're looking for me. Not because you saw the signs I performed. Jesus, let me see another miracle. Let me see another one. Not because you ate loaves and your stomachs are full. He says, you're looking for me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate and you had your stomach full. He said, don't work for food that spoils, physical food, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on Him, God the Father has placed His seal of approval Don't just look to Jesus, you know, as your sort of cosmic, spiritual, miracle giver, Santa Claus kind of thing. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. We got to close. See how much more I had? Good night.